0: This is Line Upon Line, brought to you by It Is Written. And the best person
1: to get an answer like that from would be Jesus. Line Upon Line, we answer your Bible questions. Thanks for submitting them. In addition to that answer, open the book of Revelation. God wants you to be
0: ready for the second coming of Jesus. And He wants you to have assurance about being ready for the second coming of Jesus. Thanks for joining us today on Line Upon Line. I'm John Bradshaw. With me, Eric Flickinger on Line Upon Line. We get to answer your Bible questions. And I want to begin by reminding you where you can submit your questions. Email them to us at lineuponline at IIW.org. Lineuponline at IIW.org. Eric, are we ready to go? We are ready to go. Okay, here's the first question. It comes from Judy, and the question is this. I get confused when I read the Bible and I see where it says that we are not in this body any longer when we die, but we are with Jesus in heaven. But then it says that when Jesus returns, He will raise the dead in Christ. Can you explain this?
1: Yes, Judy, your question is probably coming from 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 8. Here's what the Bible says. Now, actually, before we read it, uh, let me ask you this. Have you ever heard somebody say that Paul says to be absent from the body— is to be present with the Lord. Everybody's heard that. We all hear it. The problem is, it's not what the Bible says. Let me ask you a question. Do you mean the Bible doesn't say it, or do you mean
0: the Bible sort of says it, but it doesn't mean that?
1: The Bible doesn't say it, period. It's one of the most frequently misquoted verses in the entire Bible. So let's go take a look at what the Bible actually does say. In 2 Corinthians chapter five and verse number eight, Paul says, we are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body, and to be present with the Lord." Now, that's different than, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's
0: not just different. It's really different. In fact, it's troublingly different when you go to a funeral and the pastor or the funeral conductor says, well, we can be happy today because the Bible says that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, and patently doesn't say
1: that at all. It doesn't say that. It completely changes what Paul was trying to say. If you look at the verses preceding verse number 8, you see that what Paul does is he draws a contrast, a comparison, between our current mortal state of existence and our future immortal state of existence. Let's take a look at a few verses here, starting in verse number 1. Paul says, For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven. So here he's talking about our current mortal state of existence and then our future immortal state of existence, and they're not the same. Right, exactly, and he refers to the body as a tabernacle or as a house. That's right. We continue down a few more verses. He says, If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. So he's talking about being clothed and then a state of nakedness. Then in verse 4 he says, For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed that mortality might be swallowed up of life. So he talks about being clothed, then unclothed, and then further clothed again. At the time that mortality is swallowed up of life. So when is mortality swallowed up of life? Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that when Jesus comes back, that's when this mortal will put on immortality. So currently we're in our mortal bodies. In the future when jesus comes back we're going to put on immortality so we're clothed now with mortality we will be clothed with immortality in the future but what about this state of nakedness the state of unclothedness that takes place between our current mortal state of existence and our immortal state of existence what would we call that we would call it the state of death and so paul is not saying something different than what the rest of the bible says what he's saying here is that in verses 1-7 through he says we are mortal, we will be immortal, but in between there's going to be the state of death when the Bible says the dead know not anything. So what does Paul say in verse 8? He says, we are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. He doesn't say we go straight from one to the other because there's the state of death that takes place in between.
0: So why in the world do people say to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord.
1: Well, because many people have the mistaken idea because of a few other misquoted verses uh, that when a person dies, they immediately go to heaven or their soul or their spirit immediately goes to heaven and it is conscious. The Bible, however, makes no such assertion. Yeah, I like what you did with that verse. It's
0: really, really clear that in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 8, Paul does not say to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. He does say that he's looking forward to being absent from the body and looking forward to being present with the Lord But those two things aren't instantaneous.
1: I think you and I are both looking forward to the very same thing.
0: Oh, absolutely. So many of us are. Another question. This one comes from Gus. And Gus's question is, why does Paul refer to saved people as experiencing adoption instead of being real sons? Gus, let me suggest something to you. To be adopted is to be a real son. Ask someone who's been adopted. You're not a fake son or a phony son. You're a real son. You weren't a son. You were born somewhere else. But then through the process of adoption, you become a real son. You've been accepted into somebody else's family. That's what God does. If you are a servant of the devil, and I don't mean to make that sound all dark and awful, but if you haven't walked with God, then you're on, you're on the other side. And God in His goodness will take you from that other family and make you part of His family through the process of redemption and salvation. So that's pretty awesome. When you're adopted, you are a real son, an absolute real son. Do you have anything to add to that?
1: Paul talks about that in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse number 15. He says, "...having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two thus making peace. Then in verse 17 says, And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. Then verse 19, he pulls it all together. He says, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So he says, You were afar off, but you've been adopted now into the family. You are part of the family now. Amen.
0: Okay, here's an interesting question. What does the Bible say about alcohol consumption? Cherry
1: writes that question. Well, I guess the short answer is thou shalt not. Don't do it. Don't do it. Stay as far away from it as possible. Yes, but. Yes, but. Jesus turned water into wine. Yes, he did. The question is what
0: kind of wine? And Paul said, don't drink water for the sake of your stomach.
1: Instead, drink a little wine. It's... Time to take a little, uh, little trip back into Bible languages. When you look at the Hebrew and the Greek, there is a, there is a, a singular word that is used to describe both types of wine. Now, what do we mean, both types of wine? I thought there was only one type of wine. In the Bible, the Bible uses the word wine to describe two different drinks. One is the unfermented juice of the grape, we would call it grape juice. And the other is the fermented juice of the grape, we would refer to it today as wine. But in the Bible, it uses the word wine to describe both of those. So how then do we determine whether it's talking about fermented or unfermented? Good question. So what's your answer? The answer is context. As you take a look at the context of the verse, you're going to find out which one it's talking about. Uh, For example, the Bible talks about the new wine that is found in the cluster and a blessing is in it. So which kind would that be? That's going to be your unfermented juice of the grape. If it's in the cluster, it has to be unfermented. You find that, by the way, in Isaiah chapter 65.
0: Let me share this with you. Let me share this with you. The Bible speaks explicitly about alcohol. I'm going to read from Proverbs chapter 23. You ready for this? Proverbs chapter 23 starts in verse 29. Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath babbling? Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness of eyes? They that tarry long at the wine... They that go to seek mixed wine. So clearly we're talking about the the, the effects, the very negative effects of alcohol consumption. Redness of eyes, um, wounds without cause. Happens when people drink too much alcohol. Verse 31. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it gives its color in the cup, when it moves itself aright. At the last it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. Your eyes shall behold strange women, and thine heart shall utter perverse things. Yea, thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea, or as he that lieth upon the top of a mast. They have stricken me, shalt thou say, and I was not sick. They've beaten me, and I felt it not. When shall I awake? I will seek it again. He's talking about somebody who drinks alcohol. the, the, The wooziness, or maybe you don't know the wooziness. The wooziness, feel like the room is spinning, the ground is moving under your feet, uh, wake up in the morning, you have wounds. You don't know how they got there. Uh, your eyes shall behold strange women talking about how alcohol tends to lead a person to immoral behavior. And then you've got to love how uh, Solomon finishes it off. And when I awake, I just go right back to it. That's what so many people do.
1: Yep. The, the principle is really quite simple. And we find it in Paul's writings and, in fact, throughout the rest of the Bible. But in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, he says this, Do you not know that you are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. So our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Uh, He expects us to take good care of these body temples, and if we don't, there are some pretty serious consequences. Uh, God has given us these bodies as a gift, and He anticipates that we're going to take care of them. Here's something not many people know. If you drink alcohol,
0: you increase your likelihood of uh, cancer. Alcohol is carcinogenic. So, if I lower my alcohol consumption, I decrease my cancer risk? No. The science says that there is no level to which you can decrease your alcohol consumption and thereby lower your risk of cancer. Once you're drinking, the cancer risk is where it is. You, you cut that drinking in half Your cancer risk doesn't cut in half. Alcohol is profoundly bad for you. Let me, let me come at this from another angle. Alcohol causes damage. Ask someone who just buried a family member killed by a drunk driver. Ask a woman who was just beaten by her drunk husband again. Ask children who cower when daddy comes home because when he's drunk, he's a wild animal. It just causes damage. Should Christians have anything to do with an industry like that? No. Absolutely not. Nobody should. You know what? What I find really interesting is that you get idealistic people, and I guess to some degree we're all idealistic, and they'll have this ideal and that ideal and that ideal, and they'll celebrate their ideals by drinking alcohol, which it seems to me that if you are idealistic at all, you would say, that's something I just can't do because of the damage it causes to
1: everybody. Yeah. It's harmful. And, and beyond even that, what happens when you drink alcohol any amount is it clouds your judgment. And we're living in the very last days of Earth's history, prophetically speaking. We need to have the sharpest minds possible. Uh, alcohol, when it's consumed, it, it ends up depriving cells of, of oxygen. Absolutely. And that works on brain cells as well. So, I don't know about you, but when, when cells don't get enough oxygen, they die. I don't have enough brain cells to just go burning them off any time that I want to. I need every last brain cell that I've got. Amen, amen to that, (laughs) amen. And and, and in addition to that, think about Jesus on the cross. When he was on the cross, he was offered an intoxicating drink, would not drink it. Why? Because he knew he needed to keep his mind sharp so that he could make the sacrifice that he needed to.
0: We're told in the Bible that we ought to have the mind of Christ. Cloud your mind, you can't possibly have the mind of Christ. Can you make a case that it's okay, biblically speaking, to drink alcohol? Or you can make a case, not a good one though. No way, from a biblical point of view, it's just best you leave it all alone. Now, we'd love to answer your questions too. Get them to us. Email us, lineuponline line at iiw.org, lineuponline line at iiw.org, and we'll be right back with more in just a moment.
1: Planning for your financial future is a vital aspect of Christian stewardship. For this reason, It Is Written is pleased to offer free planned giving and estate services. For information on how we can help you, please call 800-992-2219. Call today or visit our website, hislegacy.com. Call 800-992-2219.
0: December 21, 2012 was when the Maya calendar was set to expire. Many said with the expiration of this calendar would come the end of the world. The Maya were remarkable builders, but they did not predict the end of the world. So where can we find predictions that we can trust? Recent reports state that more and more people are embracing witchcraft, tarot card reading, and astrology. People are grabbing on to this even though there's absolutely no evidence that it's valid and they're rejecting the Bible. Now, the Bible isn't simply a book of predictions. It's the story of God's love for the human family. But it's true that the Bible does contain predictions. In fact, God stakes His reputation on His ability to forecast the future. Predictions You Can Trust. Watch now on It Is Written TV. Thank you for remembering that It Is Written is a faith-based ministry, and it's your support that makes it possible for us to share God's good news with the entire world. Your tax-deductible gift can be sent to the address on your screen or through our website, itiswritten.com. Thank you for your continued prayerful support. Our toll-free number is 800 253, 800 253 Our web address is itiswritten.com. This is Line Upon Line with Eric Flickinger. I'm John Bradshaw. Thanks for joining us. We answer your Bible questions on Line Upon Line. We're glad to do so. Share them with us and we'll answer your Bible question too. Eric, what's our next question?
1: We've got a question here from Mark. And Mark wants to know, I've heard that angels can procreate with people. Is that true? You know,
0: there's this really weird school of thought, and I don't know why it is. It says back in the Old Testament that there were giants in the land because angels and and human beings procreated. And, you know, I don't know why people have to go there. There were giants because there were big people. 6,000 years ago, the earth was markedly different. The environment, the atmosphere, everything was different. And I expect people were taller, and even among the tall people, there were probably some who were really tall and were known as as giants. No, no. I'd like, I'd like to just be able to say, common sense says no. I think that would be enough. Because we want to give you a Bible answer to your Bible questions, we'll look at the Bible with you and see what the Bible says. The Bible will say no. So here's the verse I want to look at, Mark 12, verse 25. Jesus said, For when they shall rise from the dead, they neither marry, this is speaking of people, nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels which are in heaven. That seems pretty clear, Eric.
1: Yeah, so if they're like the angels in heaven, that's, they're different than human beings. We have the ability to, to procreate. Um, you know, some people kind of take this and, and move in even a little different direction. They say that we're going to be uh, in, in heaven. We're going to be like the angels. Will we not be able to have children in heaven? If, if not, I don't want to go. It, people get some weird ideas with this, but uh, the angels don't have the ability to procreate. It says it pretty plainly there. Uh, So this idea of them procreating with human beings is way off base. In answer to your question, no, it doesn't happen. What's our next question? We have one here from Art. In Old Testament times, it seems like the sacrificing of the animals was rather cruel. Uh, Why would they have to do that?
0: It was cruel. Not cruel as in cruelty, but cruel as in ghastly. I think the you know you choose choose whatever word you want to art whether it's cruel or severe or harsh or yuck or whatever it was it was the whole purpose really that god was impressing upon human beings that sin
1: was ghastly the whole point was that sin sin cost life it did in fact whose life ultimately did it cost it cost jesus life that's why john said behold the lamb of god which takes away the sin of the world all those old testament sacrifices we're pointing forward to Jesus who was going to come and be that ultimate sacrifice. So if you think the sacrifice of animals in the Old Testament was cruel, imagine how you would have felt if you had to sacrifice Jesus. And yeah. really, that's kind of what it's all about. Yeah, that's what was cruel. Human beings
0: heaping their sins upon Jesus and causing Jesus to die an ugly death on the cross, that was cruel. If you're repulsed by animal sacrifices, and you really ought to be, then you ought to be repulsed by sin because all of this happened as a result of sin. So you look at the animal sacrifices, you say, oh, that's terrible. Yeah, that's the right response. Now transition that over to sin is terrible and take that a step further. By the grace of God, we need to keep away from sin. All right, this is a good question. comes from Cassie. Cassie says, what does the Bible say about astrology and horoscopes? Well, when you look into the Bible, you don't read anything about Gemini, Sagittarius, Aquarius, and... Taurus. Yeah, Pisces, Taurus, whatever the case might be. But I'll tell you what you do read. I'll tell you what you do read. I'm going to go to Deuteronomy chapter 17. And this is indicative of verses like it that you find throughout, really, the Old Testament particularly. Deuteronomy chapter 17 and verse 3, the Bible speaks about the one who has gone and served other gods and worshipped them, either the sun or moon or any of the host of heaven, which I have not commanded. Now, it's not that people who read their horoscopes every day are worshipping the host of heaven, but this is what this is all based upon, looking for signs in the movement of the stars, looking for messages in constellations, in, in clusters of, what would they be? I guess stars, stars, a planet here or there, whatever the case might be, And we're looking in that direction for guidance and wisdom. You know what the Bible says in Proverbs 3, it says, "'Trust in the Lord with all your heart. "'Lean not unto thine own understanding. "'In all thy ways acknowledge him, "'and he shall direct thy paths.' "'Stay away from horoscopes.'" Frankly, there's nothing in it. They're made up, they're concocted.
1: Now, there's probably one small clarification that we should make so that people don't get confused about anything. There's a big difference between astrology and astronomy. That's right. And astronomy is the legitimate study of of the heavens, of the stars. Astrology is something entirely Mm -hmm. different. So you don't want to get into looking to the created, to the creature, to the
0: creation for your direction. Rather, we look to the creator. And it's odd to think that there would be signs in the stars that can predict your future. It's nothing biblical, it's nothing good, it's nothing necessary. Stay away from that and be sure to come to the Bible for your counsel and for your direction. Awesome, next
1: question. We've got a question from Andrea, and Andrea wants to know, when I confess my sins, do I need to make everything right with the people that I sinned against?
0: And that's Good a terrific question.
1: question. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, th- the answer is yes and no. So let's try to navigate between the yes and the no here. Sure. Where would you begin?
1: I'd begin in First 1 John 1, 1.9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So if we sin—now, what is sin? Sin is the transgression of the law. If we break God's law, we need to confess that sin. Uh, first of all we need to confess it to him because sure. he's the one we sinned against yeah. now from time to time we hurt other people through our sinning in fact probably on more instances than not and if we have sinned against someone else it's appropriate to talk with them and to apologize and ask forgiveness from them too
0: a friend of mine before he became a christian was a, was a drug addict and w- w- would break into homes and steal things to sell once he came to christ and became a believer, he went, it was interesting. He went back to those same homes, knocked on the door yeah. and said, I don't know if you remember this, but five years ago, your home was burgled. Well, yes, it was. And, and I know it was taken because I took it. I know what it was worth. And I'm here to give you the money and tell you I'm very sorry. Yeah. Many times, s- sometimes the people had moved out and, sure. and those folks went. The other times people said, look, insurance took care of me. Thanks very mm-hmm. much. No one was hostile. Yeah. Some people were a little ticked that they, that they were stolen from, but they were more grateful than ticked because here was this person coming back to the to the place and and making right what he could as far as he could do it That's the right thing to do now you might not have stolen from somebody, but maybe you i don't know maybe you remember a time that you you, you, you badmouth somebody or you're really angry with somebody you, you in a drunken rage you' I don't know, did something that you regret, it's right to go back and apologize to people like that and confess, not so much confessing your sins to get absolution from sin because God has done that, but to make things right
1: and to clear the air and sometimes to lift a burden in your own heart. Uh, That's right. That's right. Now, sometimes you're not going to be able to find that person again. You won't be able to, to make it right. And in those cases, then the blood of Jesus Christ covers those things. But where it's possible and where the Lord convicts you that you should, That's part of the process, and it, it restores that relationship between you and God and the relationship between you and that person that you've wronged.
0: You know, somebody told me that they had a person come to them and say, look, I just want you to know, I've really been thinking bad thoughts about you. I really, I didn't like you, I thought you were smug or arrogant or unkind or whatever. This Mm -hmm. person said, you know, I would have just been happier had they not told me. (laughs) I didn't know. It wasn't public. I'd have felt rather better if they just kept it to themselves. No good came of that. You've got to think through what the reaction might be, what the consequences of you unburdening yourself might be. God has forgiven you. There are times that it's absolutely appropriate to make things right, but there are other times when it might be appropriate just to keep a lid on certain things so that you don't go starting something that
1: can't easily be finished.
0: We have time for another question. I think we do. I think
1: we do. Here is a question from James, and James says, "If a person gets to live in the new kingdom where Jesus would reign, would the person have the same carnal mind carried over in his new kingdom body? Do we keep the same mind, carnally?
0: That would be a challenge. Yeah, it would be. Now, when you're converted, God gives you a new mind. That that that's true. But but this new mind is always in a battle, as it were, with the old mind, with the old self, with old habits, with old." Patterns with, with, with temptation. No, let me assure you that we don't take a carnal mind, an unconverted mind, into heaven. Do you have some Bible verses for
1: that? We do. We have Second uh, Corinthians chapter five and verse seventeen. In Second Corinthians chapter five, verse seventeen, uh, Paul speaks of a, a person becoming a new creature. So we are new people, not like we were before. Uh, he also says uh, in First Corinthians chapter two and verse number sixteen that we have, as you mentioned, the mind of Christ. Uh, Christ did not have a, a carnal mind. It was not one that uh, that dwelt or dealt in sin. It was a uh, a beautiful mind. He thought in the right direction, made the right decisions, and that's the kind of mind that we ought to have. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, the Bible says that we are in this world to bring into captivity
0: every thought to the obedience of Christ, which when I first read it, I thought, well, that is really daunting and absolutely not possible. So look, you come to Jesus, you confess, you're given a new mind and a new heart, but you're a baby Christian, you start to grow. We don't achieve any kind of instantaneous sanctification of the mind whereby from then on, every thought is perfect because we grow, mm. you know? We grow, it's like getting a kitten and expecting the kitten to act like an eight-year-old cat. There's got to be some growing. You know the damage kittens can do, man. They can make some messes, and they can scratch some things. They might even scratch you, but as they grow, they scratch less, and they cooperate more. So give yourself an opportunity to grow. Be impatient about it, though. Go to God and say, I really want to grow. Don't let me grow too slow. But we grow towards the kingdom, and thank God, we don't take the same mind into heaven. We take a new mind, a heavenly mind, a converted and a continually converted mind to heaven. Good questions. Thanks very much for sharing them with us. Remember our email address? It is lineuponline at iiw.org. Lineuponline at iiw.org. Contact us with your questions. We'd be thrilled to answer them. Thanks so much for being with us. With Eric Flickinger, I'm John Bradshaw. We'll see you next time.